This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Pete, before we get into any of the analysis of yesterday's game, a bit of the broader stuff around where Albion are, where their squad is, and what needs to happen in the very few remaining days of uh, of the window, um, I just want to say to you, happy anniversary. And don't panic. You haven't forgot to buy the missus something this is our anniversary. It has been 12 months of doing this podcast. And what are 12 months, Pete? I mean, we've, we've had just about everything. We've had three blooming managers and we've only been going a year. And to you, pal. Um, yeah, really enjoyed the last 12 months. And yeah, it's been exciting. Been We've had some good guests on as well in the summer. That was, um, for me as an Albion fan, brilliant to talk to both Jimmy Shan and Paul Sharner. Um, and yeah, the football's been... Uh, well, plenty to talk about, to say the least. Up and down? Fair, fair summary? Up and down, yeah. And hopefully on the up at the minute, but you never know with Albion when that's going to change. Yeah, yeah. On on the up, um, but not in the cup, which we will which we'll come to in just a moment. But before we before we do, um we are we're celebrating our anniversary in style, which is um with a, a, a new partner um with uh, with the pod. Um support for Albion Analysis is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best uh, men's below the waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels, Manscaped's performance package. The Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle. Um, join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code UPTHEBAGGIES. You can't possibly forget it. I say it at the end of every pod at manscaped.com. So you can go onto manscaped.com and get yourself some great kit um, with the code up the baggies, get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. And Pete and I can attest for the quality of their products because they very kindly sent us some through, um, Pete, as part of, part of our new relationship with them. And I mean, look, just, uh, you know, we're always very transparent on this pod. It is, you know, it, it is a, a, a relationship with uh, with Manscaped, um, where, uh, you know, obviously they they are they are supporting us. But we didn't just want to go with anyone. I have had I have had a few emails through from a few companies wanting to get involved with the pod. I haven't felt all of them have been have been quite right. But I've got a lot of respect for Manscaped. I've got a lot of respect for what they do. I really like their products even more so after having tried them over the, over the last week. And I think this was one, Pete, that we just kind of felt was, was right for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very kind of them to send the products through. Um, and I've found them to be, uh, very high quality and, um, the use of them is very smooth. Uh, and I mean, we think we both got a pair of boxes each from them and I found them to be very comfy. Um, I mean, I've even got them on right now, truth be told. So, 
Yeah, thanks you, to them. You, and... you've, been, you've been wearing them since they sent them you on Tuesday, haven't you, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully I've put them in the wash since then. But yeah, no, I found all the products that they've sent through to be uh, to be high quality, and and I I would recommend them. I'm just glad you drew the line at saying the use of them is very smooth because we we were very, very much verging into TMI uh, realms there. But uh, anyway, that's that's all from us. Uh, Like I say, just a quick reminder, if you want um, a discount from Manscaped, it is 20% off and free worldwide shipping. All you've got to do is use the code of the baggies. But that is uh, enough from our illustrious sponsor on to the football. And let's talk about... Albion versus Bristol City. Pete, look, I I mean, I know there are many people out there who still hold the FA Cup in a great deal of esteem. Look, I'm a former FA employee. I am one of them. I love the FA Cup. I, you know, uh, I I had the pleasure of working with the with with the guys around the competition. And, you know, as much as people, some people disrespect it nowadays, I know how much work goes into it at at the FA to try and still make it the world's greatest cup competition. And I think it is. I really think it is. However, the reality for us is I don't think we've got the resource and the squad to be competing on two fronts this season. I just don't. So I'm not going to cry too many tears about going out of the cup because I think in the longer term, I mean, if 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 the game against Bristol City had ended a draw, I think another midweek game could have really, really hurt us because we've got a massive February. You look at the fixtures we've got in February and they are absolutely monstrous. And a midweek game chucked in the middle of a couple of those could have been absolutely horrendous for us. So I'm not going to lose too much sleep about us going out the cup. But that being said, Pete, there's ways you go out and there's ways you don't, isn't there? Yeah, and the game against Bristol City, you know, it wasn't a pretty sight for Albion fans. And, you know, I'm feeling for the for the fans that made the trip down there. Um pretty sure we sold out the three and a half thousand of them, Pete. Three and a half thousand of them. And that's the other thing. They are owed better than that. Yeah, and it's you know, it's a commitment to go down there and support them. And clearly they're not disregarding the FA Cup and must still hold it in a in a high manner, which I mean I do as well. I would love to see us go on a cup run, I think since I mean, been... there is there is that, Pete. But there's also the fact that Bristol is a cracking night out. <laughs> Never experienced it myself. But, oh, you mate, know. you're missing out. Yeah, you need to get on that. But, uh, I've got to say, of uh, of uh, uh, Bristol and Newcastle, probably my uh, my favourite away days for nights out afterwards. Well, I had plenty up in Newcastle when I was at uni, so I can I can agree with that one. But yeah, since I've been watching Albion, I've seen us make one semi final, and that was on my first seasons watching, and that was. I mean, I loved that and got a trip to Wembley. Um, so I think there Lost is... by Milan Barish's handball. I'm still not over it. Well, I can't remember it in that much detail. I was quite young, but um, yeah, no, that was enjoyable. And I mean, I think the furthest we've got since then was probably the... Was it the time that we got knocked out by Villa at Villa Park? Yep, yep. Um, that was that was the quarterfinals, I believe. Yeah, so we've not had too many in recent years, but I certainly enjoy it and... It's just the question of how much can you prioritise it when you're pushing for promotion, and we seem to have a seem to have a limited squad at the minute. We do, Pete. But then, can we also expect better from those who go out there? Yes, he did make some changes against Bristol City, but it wasn't exactly wholesale changes, was it? I mean, there was still there was still some first teamers in there. But when I looked at the data, and this was backed up by the eye test as well of what I saw. I mean, there was some startlingly poor performances in there. I mean, unusually poor performances from uh, fr- from uh, Malumbi for one. Um, like uh, Wallace got on the ball a surprisingly small amount throughout the course of the game. But the one, I mean, the one that I really picked out and that I'm really, really disappointed in, I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet over today, is Carlin Grant, Pete. Because you would think at the moment, I mean, Matt Phillips, we've just lost him for the whole season. By the way, what an enormous blow that is for, for West Bromwich Albion. I mean, as I said on the last pod, I didn't think for one second I'd sit here at any point talking about Matt Phillips as possibly a season-defining injury for us, because uh, you know, prior to, well, certainly prior to the start of this season. I didn't, I just didn't think he had that much to give this side. But he has been one of our best players 
not just since Carlos Corbran came in, but in the last two or three games of the Bruce reign as well. And that is an enormous blow to lose him for the rest of the season. Grady, we all know, has had a stuttering season. I think he is performing better than some people give him credit for, but I'm not going to pretend he's anything more than inconsistent. And therefore, there's an opportunity for Carl and Grant here because no Phillips, inconsistent Grady. You show yourself up well in a game at Bristol City and potentially there's a place in the side for you. And yet here's his numbers for the game against Bristol. No shots, no accurate crosses, no key passes, no completed dribbles, yet four what who scored calls unsure touches, i.e. Where, um, where he gave the ball away without being actively dispossessed which was the most in our team. Genuine question, Pete. And I know I, I know, we can go back to the Chesterfield game and say a goal and an assist, but I still question his contribution in that game. What does Carlin Grant bring to the side when he's on the pitch? It's a difficult one because, I mean, even last season, you'd say he doesn't offer an awful lot apart from in the final third where he generally gets goals and picks up the occasional assist, which is... Yeah, goals are obviously not easy to come by and you can expect to pay money for a, a player that can score goals. Um, I guess that comes when you compare that to now. He's not, he's not scoring the goals, so he's not contributing too much in general. I mean, against Bristol City, I think, I don't think he had a, a shot, did he? Um, but the one. He didn't, he didn't have much of anything. No, the, the one redeeming factor that you might say is he does receive the ball in quite good areas. I think he received um, four prog- four progressive passes, two in zone 14, just outside the penalty area, and one in the box, which is okay in that sense. And receiving passes in those areas does have some value, but still, if you can't do much with the ball once you've received it in those areas, you can't get shots off, you can't assist shots, then it is you know, relatively meaningless. So there's maybe a a slight positive in there, but still, you need the end product after that. Otherwise, as I say, it, it doesn't really impact the game. So it's tough when he's not getting um, getting shots off and scoring goals because you know that he's not going to impact the game that much. Um, and I thought he might be useful as a replacement for Matt Phillips because of his directness. And, you know, he generally does make quite a lot of runs in behind, which Matt Phillips has. If you watch him carefully under Corran, he was constantly starting these sprints and then checking back and just kind of keeping the defender on the toes and maybe uh, moving their back line about a little bit, even if he wasn't receiving the ball. So I thought that directness from Grant might actually be useful. He might be a nice fit, but so far he's he's not even been close to what Matt Phillips has been offering. And it's, yeah, it's starting to be a bit of a worry. He's got 1,191 minutes of football in the league this season. That's 21 games, you know, including sub-appearances and and starts. Three goals, zero assists. I mean, it's not it's not enough, is it? It's just it's just not enough to to be contributing because, as you say, when he doesn't contribute goals or assists, he doesn't do much of anything. And I, I we talked a bit about this with Rogic last week. It comes back to the question, can we afford a luxury like that in our, in our situation? It depends how you see it and how, what's actually going on. Because if he is getting goals and assists regularly and he's in form, then, then you probably don't consider him to be a luxury. But when he's not doing that, he, he doesn't offer much. And then he definitely starts to seem like a luxury and you start to feel like you're carrying the player for the rest of the team. But yeah, I think it, it really depends on the form that he's in because... I don't think you'd have too many Albion fans complaining if he was scoring a goal every week or, or you know, getting an assist or two. But you say that, he... but he got a lot of stick last season and got seventeen goals. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's it's a difficult one with him because he has got a pretty good record at scoring goals in the championship, um, and it's just whether that can be done in the way that we're playing um, and whether that role suits him. I think. Matt Phillips quite often was trying to get past his man and get balls into the box, which maybe isn't so much Grant's game. He tends to drift inside a bit more and try and get shots off for himself. 
which Matt, Matty also supports his fullback, which Grant's never going to do. Yeah, he's I'd say he's more hard, he works harder defensively um, and supports Townsend, but Grant is is more of a more of an attacking player, I guess. Um, that's where his game is focused. I mean, when Bilic signed him, he saw him as a number nine. I'm not sure he's that, and I don't think he'd work particularly well as a number nine in this system. I'm not sure his hold-up play is good enough to do what DK and Thomas Sante have been doing. So I think he's, he's definitely more suited to the, the left-wing role, but whether he's actually suited to that, I'm not too sure. Um, and But then again, there's not a lot that we can do with him because you'd be surprised if too many clubs were coming into we're knocking on the door to see if he's available for transfer or loan. Well, not just that, Pete, but but also we've tied our hands with the amortised payments on him, haven't we? Because we still owe £7.5 on the bloke. So if we get less than that, we're effectively taking a loss over the next three years. This is the problem with spreading payments on a player, that if they drop heavily in value... You can't shift them because you you don't you don't want to you don't want to sell Grant for two and a half million, say, which is probably about what he's worth, and then find yourself then then have to budget five million over the next two years after that for a player that you don't even have anymore. We've we've painted ourselves into a corner, really, haven't we? Yeah, as you say, that's the trouble when you you're paying over a, a long period. Um, but I think also the other, maybe even bigger issue is the length of the contract initially anyway, because, you know, we're tied to that contract for, was it a five or six year contract? I know it was a big one when we six, signed it. Six, six years, yeah, because it, it was, it was, it, it was six payments of two and a half million. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's obviously a long contract. And I mean, you see what Chelsea are doing, they're doing time plays to seven year contracts and it helps with financial fair play because you can, book the cost of the transfer over a longer period, therefore not putting as much loss on the profit and loss at the minute. Um, but you can but, do that if you're Chelsea because you've got a certain level of guaranteed income, haven't you? We haven't. Exactly. The big risk about doing that is if the the player doesn't turn out to be the player that you were hoping he was going to be and you've just, you know, he's happy to just sit and pick up that, that good wage for six or seven years and, and not play not play too much. Um as you say with Chelsea, they've got plenty of money behind them, and they can maybe afford a risk or two like that, and maybe trust the the scouting network a bit bit more as well. Um, it's another being... of those crazy deals that I mean, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sort of big up Jeremy Peace here because I'm I'm well aware of how people feel about the mere fact that he sold the club to lie, and that he said he was going to do all this due diligence, and many feel that it didn't happen. I mean, the mere fact that lie is or the ownership is who it is means that probably Jeremy wasn't didn't do the checks that he said he he did on uh, on on who he was selling it to. But what I would say is this kind of ludicrous transfer deal would never in a million years have happened under the old ownership would it and this is where this is where we've gone from and where we are now in terms of being mismanaged as a football club yeah and it's from the outside looking in it it seemed to be a deal that was heavily pushed for by Slavon Bilic at the time rather than maybe the recruitment team and parts of the club that are going to remain after the manager has gone which which also, you know, probably wouldn't have happened when Jeremy Peace was there. But you, you can't give a manager a player for six years. Like, because what manager lasts for six years, especially at a club our size? Because either he does a poor job and he gets fired, or he does a good job and he goes to a bigger club. When you're, when you're a club our size, you simply don't keep your manager for six years, do you? Not in the modern game. Well, precisely. And that's why your recruitment shouldn't be led by managers. It should be led by your recruitment team who are more likely to be there in six years' time and um, maybe a director of football who's actually got that long-term time, long -term vision of the club because you never know what the next manager is going to want in their players and they might not necessarily want Carlin Grant, for example. You know, you can replace that with any player that was signed on a long-term deal um, that's been led by the manager. So it's it's obviously an issue of the club and you go back to the Jeremy Peace days and, you know, Dan Ashworth was there and, led the recruitment through those days and we had some brilliant players that were able to stay at the club and perform among, you know, a range of managers. And that's credit to the, the overall club because you're recruiting players and managers that can work together rather than just 
having a manager that recruit, recruits players for himself and then sacking him in six months and having a new manager that doesn't want the players that the previous manager had signed, which, I mean, we've spoken about that a lot on here, about needing a director of football or someone in a similar role to to look at the long-term vision of the club and, and recruit managers and players in in that mould rather than just, you know, switching and, yeah, just having a new new style of manager each every six months or so. Well, that's the reality of the situation, isn't it? Even if we do dig ourselves out of this hole and Carlos gets us promoted this uh, this season, we we desperately need that plan because if we don't have it, then we'll go into the Premier League and we will just do the same thing as we did last time. We'll get ourselves relegated. We'll bring in players that aren't quite right or won't appreciate in value like we did with Grant, like we did with Grady. And we'll just, we'll just find ourselves back here in two years time. Won't we, if we don't as much as look, there's the short term thing of we're in big, big trouble. If we don't get up inside the next couple of years, you all heard what Ali Jones had to say on this very podcast last week. You know, he, he, he believes it's a two and a half, year plan before we start getting into trouble. I think Pete and I, by just having a little look at some of the some of the numbers around it, we're probably of the opinion it probably wouldn't take quite as long as that. But you know, semantics between the two really, that's just a difference of opinion. But either way, I think I think I think what we're, what we're saying, Pete, is if we don't get up by the end of next season, we're in all sorts of trouble. But I think what I'm saying in the bigger picture is if when we do get up, if we haven't got that plan, if we haven't got that structure, if we haven't sorted out the recruitment team, and I realise this is stuff you've heard before from us, but it's worth re-emphasising because it's just so, so important. If we don't have that, we will just come straight back out of the Premier League, first things first. And second thing is we will run through the first year of the parachute payments. And if we don't go straight back up, we'll be in the same mess that we are now. And we'd probably do the same that we did under, <clears throat> excuse me, under Billich and sack the manager halfway through, bring in a manager that's more of a firefighter and just start from scratch again the next season when we inevitably go down anyway. I think with Billich, it kind of made a bit more sense because he was running out of contracts at the end of the season. And from what you hear was unlikely to want to stay anyway, but, if we did go up with Corbran and we were looking like we were going down, then I would be most likely looking to keep him on and have another let him have another go at it in the championship the season after and just keep that um stability there. And um yeah, keep the you know, you've got a squad that he's built and he's shown that he can perform in the championship and let him build that squad for another year, get his players in, get his um ideas into the players a bit more and just kind of build and Hopefully, if he could get us up in the season after that, then he might have a better chance of us keeping us there rather than just, you know, twisting at every chance we can get and just kind of trying to cling on to the Premier League as much as possible, have the long-term vision of a bit more stability. And you might actually get to a point where you can survive uh, consistently. Yeah, agreed. And moving on from Grant and on to another player that was bought very specifically for a manager um, who unfortunately got to see very little of him in an Albion shirt and Daryl DK. Now, before we get into this, I, I think I want to certainly put on record my feelings about DK. And I know from chats we've had off air, Pete, that I think you feel similar. We're both fans of DK. I think we both really like him. What we saw of him at Barnsley and Orlando, we were really, really impressed with. And we also, I think you've got to put the caveat in there with Daryl DK that the injuries, you've got to, you've got to cut him some slack for the injuries because he obviously missed all of the end of last season. He then went through pre-season relatively tentatively and then got himself injured right at the start of this season. So he's had to come back mid-season without a proper, like, basically going through rehab and starting again. Um, so he, he almost needed a pre-season to his mid-season, which he isn't able to have. And he has come back. And whilst we've seen flashes of Daryl DK. I think he's looked a shadow of his his former self, and I thought that was showed up again uh, a bit against Bristol City because you put him side by side with Brandon Thomas Asante. DK got fifty one minutes 
on the pitch. One shot, one on target, 13 touches, which was the least of any Albion player who played 15 minutes or more. Thomas Asante, on the other hand, came on for 39 minutes, so 12 minutes less than DK. Three shots, two on target, so two more shots, one more on target and one more touch. I mean, it doesn't reflect terribly well on DK. I thought he looked off the pace against against Burnley, um, whilst he looked decent against Luton. But, I mean, my I think the point I'm driving towards, Pete, here is, at what point do we have to start being a little bit worried about Daryl DK? And maybe mentally, as Albion fans, flip the two strikers in terms of who are first choice and second choices because it's very easy to consider Brandon the backup because he cost 300k and DK the number one striker because he cost 8 million but the way they're performing at the moment the 300k striker is way outperforming the 8 million pound striker and I'm well aware of the reasons for that like as I say this is not this is very different to the conversation we just had around Carl and Grant Carl and Grant that's all on him as far as I'm concerned, that level of performance is all on him. He should be 100% fit. He's had no long-term injuries. Okay, he hasn't played a great deal, but he hasn't played a great deal because he hasn't been performing to the level where he should be. And he hasn't taken his opportunities when they've been given to him. That's all on him. Daryl DK is a totally different sort of animal to me because the the, the situation around Daryl DK is that he has had to come back from a long-term, two long-term injuries. And he's just, he's not quite got back to the level yet. When will he get back to the level? I don't know. It might just, it it might be a matter of he needs to come through the whole of next preseason. And then we see the best of DK at the start of next season, assuming he doesn't pick up any more injuries. But the, in the here and now, he's not at it, is he Pete? And, I personally think he is the backup to Brandon, not the other way around at this point. I'm starting to lean towards that opinion as well. As you say, Thomas Asante is performing better at the minute. DK, he doesn't look as good as he was when he was playing for Orlando or Barnsley. I, as we signed him, I took quite a, a deep look into him and uh, wrote a like, scout report on him. So I might share that again this week just to um, to show what my thoughts were as we were signing him before we saw him in an Albion shirt and he looks a lot slower than he, he did previously. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe just getting himself back up to fitness. It might be a mental thing. He doesn't want to push himself too much after his recent injuries. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but it's something Michael Owen spoke about a lot, wasn't it? When he started getting muscle and hamstring issues, that he said he said he was scared to push himself. Do you think that's where 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 DK is? It might be. Yeah, it could be to to do with that, and just he needs to get into a position where he's trusting his body again that it's that it's full capabilities, and he's able to you know put one hundred percent into his sprints and and really get up to full pace. So I think if that is the case, then when he does get that, probably probably the best word to call it is confidence back in his body, then. We'll start seeing the best of him um, because I think he he is a quick striker and he gets in behind well and and makes those runs and he's obviously very powerful. We've definitely seen that with his upper body strength and you know his core strength when somebody's making a challenge on him. I think it was it against Reading, Preston maybe where someone went into like shoulder barge him and he went flying. Um, yeah, I think it was the Preston game, wasn't it? Yeah, so the strength's definitely still there. It's just we're not quite seeing the. The pace that I was expecting of him. Um, well, he flattened Lenehan on the opening day at Middlesbrough when he came on as well, didn't he? Yeah, and I think he, I think he looked a bit quicker at the start of the season. So, yeah, maybe it is the lack of preseason and or just not trusting his body as much. When I say lack of preseason, I mean the injury mid-season to um, put him out for a while and then come back from that. But I mean, in well, some we've games, we've seen this before as well, though, haven't we? I mean, I remember Ishmael Miller coming back a shadow of his former self, and um, uh, and and I think going back a bit further, Pete, you might not remember this, but you know, Jason Roberts had a long term layoff, and then you know, really struggled to for a while to regain the, uh, regain the levels. Yeah, and it's it's probably more difficult for a player that is where their physical physicality is quite a big part of their game because 
Well, that's I've why seen. I picked on those two players because they were both players who 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 relied on their pace and they did use to bully defenders. They they were very good at getting in behind, and I think their games have comparisons to DK, which is why I, why I pulled those two examples out. Yeah, and you've well, when you're relying on that for a large part of your game, then you do need to be able to trust your your body to not pick up injuries if you are pushing it to its full potential and. If you're not trusting it, then you're probably not going to be able to give you your all in the game and that'll show a new level of performance. I think he's still getting, in most games, he's still getting into good areas for shots. I mean, the one, he had that one against Burnley that he got into a good area, but it was a poor touch. He just didn't seem to be ready for it. Um, I'd say that's probably more down to, that's just sharpness and rather than not trusting his body. I'm less concerned about his shots data, Pete, and more concerned about how little he seems to be occupying defenders at the moment. I think against Reading, he, he was quite good in receiving the ball and with a defender on his back, and that was quite impressive. Um, he's not a, a striker that gets into the game an awful lot, apart from in getting into the final third and getting shots off. Um, he's not a, a player that you're going to call a false nine and drop into drop off the the last defender and receive passes in there and turn and spray the ball about. He's going to allow you to prog- progress the ball up the pitch um, into his feet or in behind and he's going to run onto it and just kind of keep his game pretty simple with the ball. It's I, I'd say most of his work is done off the ball in terms of the runs that he makes and getting into good areas to get shots off. So he's never going to be a, a really technical player, but if you use him to his, his strengths and I think he's still a really useful player, um, really useful in transitions and counter-attacks um, because of the pace that he, he does have, even if he's not showing at the minute. And the fact that he can just bully defenders when he gets them one-on-one with his strength, he can shake him off easily. So I think if you can get him to those, get him into those situations where the counter-attacking and he's kind of racing a defender or, you know, side-by-side with a defender um, one-on-one, then that's where he's going to be really dangerous because he, he's got the pace and he's got the power to, to shrug them off and, and get behind and get into good goal-scoring positions. It's just at the minute he doesn't seem to be showing the level of pace and maybe the Bristol City game wasn't suited for him because we went behind so early. Um, but yeah, I would say that you probably, if you can't score run, you probably got to start thinking about do you just bring him on off the bench and let Brandon Thomas-Sante start most of the games and, and just Is let he better DJ... suited to that? Because, uh, I mean, that's, uh, to be honest, that's where we've seen the better performances from DK. I mean, I think, I think you made a joke about it. Um, it was about four games after the, um, after the, the, the restart post the World Cup that we were rotating our strikers and the one who started never scored and the one who came on a sub always seemed to score. It does seem like DK really struggles to get into games he starts, but yet when he comes on later on in games, maybe, I mean, let's be fair, if you're a centre-half and you've just you've just had 70 minutes of Brandon Thomas Asante being an absolute pest, being so unpredictable and, uh, and, and, and doing the things that he does, that to then see the powerhouse that is Daryl DK trotting on for the last 20 minutes, you would just look at it and go, oh, goodness me, this is the last thing I need. I just, I don't, I wonder whether he's better suited to that. And, and I think that's reflected in the performances that we're seeing from him because I'm, I, I can think of very few games where I've been really impressed with him from the start. But I, I, I've, there's quite a few games where he's come on a sub and he's impressed me. I think it might be harsh to say he's better suited to it because, I mean, generally for Barnsley, he wasn't just a sub. He was starting most games and he was excellent in that season for them. Um, and I thought against Reading, for us a few weeks back he was I thought he was yeah I thought he was very good I th- I think he got unlucky missed a couple of chances early on but the way that he pinned defenders back and received the ball with defenders on his back was pretty impressive and he I mean on the whole he's doing quite successfully and he got his goal in the end as well he probably could have had another one or two with the chances early on but as an overall performance I think it was pretty good and I do know what you mean about him in general that he's probably been better off the bench but Maybe that's just because it's easier if the defenders are are tired, and uh, you know we've spoken about uh, his game being about his strengths, phys- his physical strengths. So it might be more suited to that. But yeah, I wouldn't 
put him down as a player that we going forwards we can only expect to see him perform when he comes off the bench. It might also might just be a confidence thing at the minute. And, you know, he's he's come back from a few injuries and he's not, you know, hit the ground running majorly. Unlike Brandon Thomas Santa, who seems to be in in top form and in that sense, Pete, just sorry, just to jump in there, how important is it as supporters that we try and stay patient with him? Because uh, as I say, I really want to draw the distinction between I look, I never I never advocate for players to get grief, but at the same time, I struggle to have a lot of sympathy for Carl and Grant, who I just and, and Tom Rogic the other week as well, who I just don't think are putting it in to the right levels. I think as supporters, we need to acknowledge the fact that Daryl DK is putting it in at the moment, but just maybe he's just struggling to get back to the levels he needs to mid-season. And and from a confidence point of view, it's got to be so important that, that we as supporters stay patient with him, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I also think it's important to to note that he's definitely not performing badly. Um, if you look at his, well, I mean, either his goals or his XG, they're pretty similar. Um Per 90 minutes, he's scoring a goal, well, 0.54 goals per 90 minutes. So that's a goal every two games, essentially, which as a striker, you know... That's he... interesting, Pete. I wasn't aware of that. That's actually good numbers. I, th- I suppose it's because he doesn't get the goals as much off uh, from his starts. I think he's only I think he's only scored in two starts, hasn't he, Luton and Reading. Um, it, it probably masks that a little bit. Yeah, well, that's league games, by the way. It doesn't include cup games, but... Um, well, he scored three goals this season, I think, and it's the one against Luton, the one against Reading, and then the one off the bench against Sunderland as well. But I think it's important to note that he hasn't actually played that many minutes this season. He scored three goals in, I think it was 500 minutes. So, yeah, 500 minutes exactly, Um, which is, you know, just shy of, it's about five and a half games. So in terms of, of numbers and, and goals, then... You know, he's looking good and he's got one assist in that as well, if you care about that. Um, I don't think it's really much to measure. I don't think assists are important to measure for DK's game. You're not going to expect many of them from him. Um, but goals, he's getting them and he's getting good chances. His XG kind of shows the same thing, 0.6 per 90. Uh, so he's getting into good areas. We, we just haven't seen that much of him in the league either. I think it's easy to, to just think we're, oh, we're in January, we've played. However many games we've played now, I've lost track, but DK hasn't played that many. So I think, yeah, it's hard to, I mean, easy to kind of misjudge the amount that we've seen of him and, and the amount of goals that he's scored. So I really don't think he's he's doing badly. Um, I think Brandon Thomas Sante has been very good um, and DK's been, he's been okay. He's been decent, I think, but I th- in a I weird sort of a way, does that almost hurt him a little bit that Brandon has just been this absolute revelation since signing? I mean, let's be fair. Brandon's outperformed anything we could expect, could have, could have expected of him. 300k from Salford in League Two. Uh, no, no, you could, you just couldn't have expected the levels that we've got from, from Brandon and probably because a kid's come from League Two with very little expectation for very little money versus the guy who has come for an awful lot of money with a great deal of expectation. It probably prob- probably weighs on DK even more. Yeah, and I mean, that's very true. And we seem to be getting a lot out of Brandon Thomas Sunday, like you say. I don't think anyone would have expected what we have been getting out of him. Um, I was just getting up his numbers for, for his goals. Um, and he's scored 0.47 per 90. So I, I think that's below, I think, DK was not oh, actually five, less, he? actually less yeah, than actually than less, DK. and he does take penalties as well. So um, obviously, it's over a bigger sample size with Brandon Thomas Sante, but and his XG is higher than DK's per ninety. But again, he takes penalties, so that's going to impact it. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's too much to distinguish between the two. Um, I'd probably say that Brandon Thomas Sante is in better form, and at the minute, I'd. I'd be tempted to start him, but I'm also wary of you do want to get Darrell DK back into his best form and maybe you just trust him with a couple more starts and and hope to see that coming and hope that he can replicate his numbers in terms of scoring every other game, well, every other 90 minutes. Um, so I think it's it's a tough decision for Corbran. And, yeah, I think I mean, he'll keep rotating them. 
I think he will as well because it obviously helps to have them fresh each game as well. Um, and it keeps the competition there. If one of them suddenly takes off in form, then, you know, they might start to secure their place and it just gives them both, gives them both a chance and something. It gives them, you know, the chance to fight for the, the starting position. One, there wasn't a lot of positives, uh, from the Bristol City game. I do want to focus on one though. Um, and to be fair to most Albion fans who were there, this, this has been highlighted. Adam Reach, um, comfortably our best player. Two shots, one on target, three key passes, the most of any Albion player, eight aerials, one, the most of any Albion player, the most touches, the most interceptions, the most crosses, the most accurate crosses. And I just wanted to make a bit more, a bit of a general point on Adam Reach. I mean, we're going to come on to the, the, the transfer window and what we need because I think, look, we are, we're not going to ignore the fact that we are, you know, we are desperately light. The, 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 the squad does not have the depth that we need. And I would worry about us being able to get through the season, getting the results that we need with the squad that we've got. And we do need, you know, we're, we're recording this on, Sunday afternoon, so the 29th of January. In the, in the few days that remain of this window, you might be listening to this after the window is shut and you might already know the answer to this. But in, in what remains of the window, I don't think there's, uh, I, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt in Pete and I's mind that we, that we, that we need some additions and we need some help. But I have to say, I, I, I see Adam Reach as a real positive for this squad. And I know he gets a lot of stick. And I'm not trying to make him out to be something that he's not here because he plays left back. Is he as good a one-on-one defender as Connor Townsend? No, he's not. If he plays wide left, does he beat players like Grady Garner? Does he score goals like Matt Phillips? No, he doesn't. If he plays centrally, can he do what Swift or Malumbi or Yukoslu does? No. But equally, he can play all of those positions and not let anybody down. Okay, he's not spectacular in any of those positions, but he's he's a guy who predominantly comes off the bench. He's not going to be spectacular because if he was, he'd be starting. Like he w- he would not be coming off the substitutes bench if he was something something special. But I also think there's something so so important, particularly where you've got no depth in the squad where you can put a guy in, in multiple positions, and he doesn't let anyone down, Pete. I, I, I just think Adam Reach, for all the stick he gets, I think he's going to be an important player between now and the end of the season. I've always said I think he was probably a good signing for Ishmael and the system that he wanted to play. When you're using wing-backs, you want a player that's obviously decent defensively, but also has, you know, he's also good in the, Final third, he can cross, he can get past his, get up the field and also get back and got good energy. And I think that probably describes Adam Reach. Um, you know, decent defensively. He will get up and down the pitch and he's, he's got quite a good delivery on him in the final third. Uh, so if we were playing with a, a back three, a back five and we were playing with wing backs, then I think he'd be, yeah, definitely very useful. At the minute, he's kind of just, I don't think there's really a position in the way that we're playing that's perfectly suited to him. So I don't he's think he's a ever going to... gap for a number of positions, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. So he's he's probably all right cover for Townsend. You know, he's, he might be all right as cover for the left wing position, but I probably wouldn't want him starting every game. Um, if you're desperate, you can maybe put him into centre mid. He's got energies. He's all right on the ball, but he's never going to be... He's never going to be your first name on the team sheet. So, yeah, I think... There's, he's useful to have, um, and I'm not going to complain that we've got him. But you don't want to rely on him from now to the end of the season as a as a main player. No, 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 no. Yeah, and absolutely. Just to clarify that point, I'm not saying he should be starting. What I'm saying is, whilst we've got a squad that is desperately thin, particularly in the wide forward areas and in the fullback areas. I think you need a player like Adam Reach who can play almost all of those positions and do so to a respectable level. No, if 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 between now and the end of the season Adam Reach starts ten games, I think we've got a problem. I really do. But if he if he has to start half a dozen in various positions, 
I think he can do that to a level because I think we need to be realistic about what we're going to do in the remaining days of this window. I, again, you might be listening to this after the window is closed and Albion have signed four players and you're thinking, Chris, you're talking absolute garbage and fair play that, uh, you know, that's the world of podcasting. You record a podcast and then um, the, the future goes and proves you completely and utterly wrong. And I take that chance. I'm going to sit here now and say we're not going to get everything that we would ideally want in this window, in what remains of this window, because they're probably all going to be loans as well. And if we don't, we're going to need players to be versatile. And I think he's that. Absolutely. Um, And I would be shocked if we brought in four players, but, you know, we can hope. I think, in general, we probably need another winger uh, to replace... Coming for Matt Phillips, who seems to his injury seems to well it looks like it's going to be keeping him out for the majority of the of the season. Uh, we could probably do maybe a bit more covering the fullback positions, and we're being heavily linked with Lewis O'Brien, and I think he would be a very good uh, signing to bring in into centre midfield. So, yeah, as you say, I think with the resources that we've got, then players that are versatile and can give you a decent performance in a few positions are going to be very important. Well, let's move on to Lewis O'Brien. I mean, a couple of things on this, Pete, um, to, to talk about. First, I want to throw at you that um, that seems to be the position that we have been most linked with. I mean, Lewis O'Brien, we've pretty much been linked with through the whole window, but then there was briefly a spell of being linked to Nathaniel Chalabar um, from from Fulham as well. And uh, and the local media even said that there was an interest there, but he was further down the list than certain journalists were reporting. So there seems to have been a real desire from Corbrand to get a central midfielder in. My So my first question to you is, why a little bit because um because to to uh, to the untrained eye it would suggest and by untrained eye i mean mine um it it would it would seem that it's not the biggest priority problem yukoslu and Malumbi have probably been our best perform best two performing players since corbran came in and then I think you and I both agree that Livermore is largely done at this level, particularly in the way we play. But you've still got Taylor behind them, who who I, yeah, I like in central midfield. But I think it's is it. I think it may be becoming clear that Corbran doesn't particularly didn't start him against Bristol City, which I was a little bit surprised about, and. I don't, I don't know. I think he's taken a look and I, I'm, I'm not sure he's keen. And I, I wonder whether his desire to get a central midfielder in is indicative of that. Well, it seems that way to not start him against Bristol City seemed a very strange move. I know he wanted to keep, well, he seemed to want to keep the, the core of the squad relatively unchanged, you know, with Wallace playing and O'Shea and Yukushlo Malumbi. Um, but I would have thought there was, he could have, Brought in Gardner Hickman in. Um, I'd have liked to see him in, in central midfield with kind of the, the way that Malumbi's been playing in, in recent weeks where he's, he starts central, but when we move up the pitch, he drifts out to the, the right wing and plays down there. I think that'd be quite an interesting role for Gardner Hickman, especially with his history of playing as, as a winger when he was, um, in the academy. I think he was generally a, quite an attacking winger from what I hear. Um, and has since been moved into, Right back, right wing back, central midfield, basically everywhere on the park. Um, so I think that would be, would have been an interesting role to see him in and probably would have been a good game to test it out as well. But as you say, Corbran doesn't seem to, to fancy him there. Um, which is strange when, you know, there's been a couple of managers now that have seemed to have thought the same thing, which, you know, isn't, isn't gospel, but it tends to point to something that if multiple managers don't fancy a player, or don't fancy a player in a specific position, then there might be something in that that us supporters aren't seeing. Um, yeah, because Bruce tried to convince us he wasn't. He was a right back, not a central midfielder, which is completely the contrary to what I've seen. Exactly, and I think Corbrand's generally played him in right back when he has played him. He started the first leg. Uh, did he start both both games? Not legs. Both games against Chesterfield. He, he did indeed at fullback. Yeah. Yeah. So. Maybe that's just because we didn't, we don't really have any other cover in right back apart from, I mean, Ethan Ingram doesn't seem to be fancied either by managers. Um, so maybe that's why, but maybe 
again, it's just Corbrand doesn't fancy him as a central midfielder, so that could be where Lewis O'Brien's coming in. Um, I think importantly with O'Brien is that he seems to be a very good dribbler and can carry the ball forwards, which um, I've said before that Corbrand seems to like to kind of create the space in midfield for people to then carry the ball into, and that's how we progress forward a lot of the time rather than just through passes that takes up the pitch. And I'd say uh, O'Brien can do that much better than any of the players that we've got currently in midfield. So it's potentially one of the reasons that we're so heavily linked with him or interested in him. Um, and Chalaba's the same. I think he, in general, he's probably a better ball carrier than is a passer. Um, so it seems to be that that's the style of midfielder that we're looking for rather than just a, someone, I always go back to Soyuz because he did it very well for us. A player like Soyuz who's, you know, his whole game is his passing and his ability to move the move the team up the pitch with his passing. He never really carried the ball up the pitch. It was just about finding those passes into advanced areas. So I think we're looking for a midfielder that can carry the ball rather than a midfielder a midfielder that's a real natural passer of the ball. Well, just to put the put the numbers around that, Pete, because I had a little look at this, and um, obviously there's no there's very little point in judging um, Lewis O'Brien. On this season, he's had 704 minutes for for Forest, so there's there's not really there's simply not enough minutes there to really judge him on. Um, plus, it's in the Premier League, not the Championship, and we don't play in the Premier League. But you you take him on last season's numbers for Huddersfield, and he averaged two successful tackles per game, which would have him on Albion's current squad as the most. He had 2.1 successful dribbles per game, which again would have him as as the most. He would be competing. He would only be beaten out by the attackers in our squad and Kyle Partley for most shots per game. Um, he would be only be beaten by the attackers in our squad and Connor Townsend for most key passes per game. Um, he also is uh, would be the most fouled player in our team based on his numbers for Huddersfield last season. But he does lose the ball a lot as well, so he takes chances. He's, he's disp- he'd be the most dispossessed player in our team, and he'd also have the most unsure touches via uh, who scored. So, uh, and as you say, passing is certainly not the be-all and end-all of his game. He had a 78% pass completion rate for Huddersfield last season. I think what you're seeing from those numbers, just to kind of put them into some sort of a context, is you're seeing a very, very well-rounded midfielder but you are seeing a midfielder that I think is probably going to play better alongside somebody like your Koslu because they're going to need that protection behind them because they are going to lose the ball a lot he will make us more offensive of that I am absolutely certain he's three goals three three assists last season so he's not going to produce the end product an awful lot of the time but I think he will drive us forward he will get us up the pitch and he'll be very very different to what what we've seen, but I think it will be it. He will more than likely correct me if you think I'm wrong here, Pete. But if he comes in, I think it will probably be him or Malumbi more often than not, rather than um, rather than him uh, and uh, him or Yakoslu, or he will play O'Brien within a three and almost leave the ten out of there. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if I think he's probably. The most similar to Malumbi of our midfielders, so he's probably the most obvious um, position for him to come to is come into is what Malumbi is currently playing. But I wouldn't be surprised if Corbin shifted John Swift to play as the as the wide man, and then, as you say, played with the three midfield of Yakuzli, Yakuzlu, Malumbi, and um, O'Brien, and then had Swift out wide with. Jed Wallace I, on the I other like side. the idea of a hybrid Yukosli, the best of Yukoslu and Malumbi in one player, though. That would that would be worth a lot of money. And then we'd only have to we'd have a room for an extra player as well, wouldn't we? So we'll see what we can do about that. But with O'Brien, yeah, I think the way that you described him is pretty well is pretty accurate. Passing is definitely not his strong point. Um he was below average for pass completion among championship central midfielders last season. As is well that as... somewhere where the, the fans will have to, if we if he comes in, we'll have to learn to be patient with him? Because I see a lot of fans get on Grady's back about how much he loses the ball. And I don't necessarily see that as a negative because because I'm not too worried about where Grady loses the ball. 
O'Brien will lose the ball a lot. And I think fans will have to switch on to the fact that he's doing so for a reason because he's trying to make stuff happen. He's trying to go past people. He's trying to get us up the field. And then it's not necessarily, obviously if he's losing the ball more than he's keeping it, it's a problem. But if he's losing it because he's trying to make stuff happen, that that is just, that's just a byproduct of, of the way he plays the game. Yeah. And probably it's important to consider what he does in terms of dribbling the ball and carrying the ball up the pitch rather than just looking at, him passing the ball, so it might look like he loses the ball a lot through his passes, but he probably loses the ball less than the average player would when he's dribbling with it. Um, and to be fair with his passing, his completion is below average, but so is the number of passes that he attempts per 90 minutes. So it's not as if he's disillusioned about his actual ability and he's trying loads of passes and and then just completing them at a terrible rate. He, he doesn't actually attempt that many passes compared to the league average. And it's, you know, similar story with progressive passes. When you look at that per 100 passes that he makes, it's it's low. He only attempts about 12 per 100 passes that he makes. And again, the, the accuracy of them is way below the league average. But when you look at his progressive runs, then um, he attempts about 2.1 of them per game, which is more than double of the league average for central midfielders last year. So yeah, I think you need to focus on his ability to carry the ball rather than his ability to to pass the ball and that should be where he's judged which might be might not be the the general thing that you would as a central midfielder I think the traditional way to view them is someone that's really good at passing the ball and keeping the ball but maybe just you know consider about just yeah take a more open view of his performance and and look at the way he carries the ball and as you say I think it it can help O'Brien to play next to Yukuzlu because he provides more of the defensive stability um, but it also help you usually to play next to O'Brien because he can allow him to move the ball forward through his um his ball carrying and you usually can can focus on his strengths which are you know his defensive work rather than his his passing and his progressiveness. So I think O'Brien would be an excellent sign if we can get him in. Um one that you know it, I think it's very exciting to to get a midfield of that quality in. Um and I think Corbran will, will obviously know his strengths and his weaknesses and hopefully get the best out of him. So if we can get that one over the line, then, you know, I'll be, I'll be very happy with it. Yeah, as would I. I think he'd be an excellent signing. Just to finish off, Pete, in, in very briefly, what else do you think we, we really, really, because let's be fair, we, we, we are so close to the end of the window here. We're not going to do a lot. If we get O'Brien over the, over the line, realistically, we might just get one or two more at most in because we haven't got a lot of money and we also haven't got a lot of time. I personally would say we probably need priority one, a winger, and priority two would be a fullback in that order. I think a winger is probably more important than a fullback. I think if Furlong gets injured, we have got a real, real issue. Um, I don't deny that. So, you, uh, but fortunately, Darnell Furlong hasn't got injured a great deal. He says touch wood. And if if Townsend got injured whilst we've got a problem, you can shift Peters there. You can put Reach there. I just think we're so short out wide, uh, and that would be my priority outside of O'Brien. I'd agree with you there. Um, I'd say if we do get O'Brien in, it the only the only way to look at it where you don't have a real issue with wide players is if Swift plays the majority of his time as as a left winger, left mid, whatever you want to call it. Still, I think I'd I'd like to see us bring in a wide player that can be a direct replacement for, for Matty Phillips. And yeah, I tend to agree with you. With the fullbacks, we're slightly light there, but we probably do have a little bit of cover if we need it and we can shift stuff around. Um, we could muddle by. Yeah, just about. But yeah, I mean, we can't... I think everyone's aware of the, the financial issues that we've got at the minute, so we can't just go out and spend money like with Chelsea. Um, so we've got, to, we've got to be smart with what we bring in. We've got to really prioritise the areas that we bring players in because yeah I mean I'd be very surprised if we get four players in I think if we get one or two good quality players in I'll be happy yeah as will I I think you 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 take what you can get at this stage well 
that is all from us uh, for uh, for today. Um, and remember as well that if you do need some below the waist men's grooming products, you can uh, get them from our wonderful, wonderful um, supporter Manscaped, um, and you can get twenty percent off and uh, free worldwide shipping. Use the code up the baggies. We will be back. Um, after the Coventry game, I say we. Pete is uh, Pete is off on a off on a wonderful jaunt, so uh, uh, it will be me plus one other as, as yet. TBC, um, but we uh, we will return by the the we being the royal we of Albion analysis. We'll be back after the Coventry City game, but until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.